go to the war, go to the society, go to the community, and love people around you, love the culture around you, immerse to the society, and work harder. <laughs> for the society, for the community,、uh, which is the way we live,、uh, is the way for us to give a contribution to people and to the society for the future, for the peace of the future. Welcome to One Symphony, a podcast that explores classical music's relevance in our modern lives. Dr. Devin Patrick Hughes, and I'm here to share with you stories and conversations with musicians, composers, and artistic entrepreneurs that aim to unite us into one symphonic world. Chen Yi is a celebrated Chinese American composer who transcends musical and cultural boundaries in her blending of Chinese and Western traditions. Trained in both piano and violin, she studied composition at the Central Conservatory of Music in Beijing, and later earned a Doctor of Musical Arts degree from Columbia University in 1986. Chen Yi has received fellowships from the Guggenheim Foundation and the National Endowment for the Arts, the Lieberson Award from the American Academy of Arts and Letters, and the Charles Ives Living Award. As a trailblazer in contemporary classical music, her compositions left a lasting impact globally, showcasing a seamless blend of diverse cultural influences. She is taught at the Peabody Conservatory and currently holds a professorship at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. As an advocate for contemporary classical music and a cultural ambassador, Chen Yi believes that music is a universal language, improving understanding between peoples of all different cultural backgrounds and helping to bring peace to the world. Chen Yi, I'm so honored to have you as a guest on One Symphony today. I know your parents were musicians and doctors. Would you be so kind as to share what they passed on to you from a musical standpoint or from a philosophical standpoint? Devon, thank you so much for bringing me in to talk to our audience, listeners, and. I also particularly thank you for bringing my orchestra piece, Gershu and Tiffany, to your orchestra, and that will be performed next month, and which is also the lunar calendar, the new year. I'm so happy. <laughs> Was born in China, and so I took the material from Chinese folk song, folk dance, and so you could tell that when I was early training, like three years old, I learned classical music. And my parents, as you mentioned, they are medical doctors, but they love classical music. I started learning piano and violin, piano first. Because my dad said that oh, if you don't recognize the half steps, you're not going to handle your fingers <laughs> to 
do all these pictures uh, on the fingerboard. I started the uh, violin four years old, a little later. Then during the Cultural Revolution, I was a teenager. All educations are interrupted. So I was sent to countryside to work as a farmer for almost two years. During that time, I also have learned that the education is so important, like a civilization, education to all people around the world is so important. I build this sense already. The thought that is very important for the later life of my journey of study and working. My parents who taught me so much in musical in this realm and also taught me so much in the humanity way. So I do know how to serve the society, how to serve people, how to be in the community. I thought that is important. After the Cultural Revolution, actually, I went to the city. I went to Beijing to study. As one of the students accepted among 20,000 applicants, we had gotten 32 composers in one year because after 10 years of block, no education. No school. Then I had the next eight years of intensive study in the Beijing Central Conservatory, which didn't only train you in Western classical music, like the category of harmony, counterpoint, orchestration, and analysis, all this, but also the Chinese traditional music repertoire. I had systematic training also in Chinese folk song collections with Chinese local theater, and also Chu Yi, which is a type of musical storytelling. And then I have that whole catalog with Chinese traditional instrumental music, which would be classified into solo instruments and ensemble music. Those benefited me so much in my later composition because when I was in countryside, before I got into college education, I had already got in touch with farmers a lot because being a farmer, I heard these lullabies and all these farmers singing in my own dialect. I am from Henton. Guangzhou is in the south. I took a lot of southern Chinese folk music into my new composition later on and combining with what I have learned from my classroom at the Central Conservatory. I think that is very helpful for me to recognize my own language, particularly the musical language, combining with uh, Whatever I have learned since a childhood from three years old. So I write a lot for Western instruments, actually, because I grew up listening to all these records that my father collected. We know Mozart, Beethoven. We know Bach really well. Tchaikovsky, I could tell you all the orchestration. Uh, when you go from texture to other texture, when I play the concerto Tchaikovsky, <laughs> uh, I could sing back all this piano part, the orchestra part. I named those instruments because we grow up with this. I am very familiar. And whenever I listen to classical music, I have a smile, big smile. <laughs> and later on, I found, oh, my native language actually is Cantonese. <laughs> I also speak 
Mandarin well. <laughs> <laughs> Because I also worked eight years as a concertmaster at the Beijing Opera Orchestra in my hometown. After being brought back to the city, because after two years of farmer work, I was one of the earliest being brought back to the city to serve for those revolutionary sample operas because they needed the orchestra. I was a young player, seventeen years old. I became the concertmaster of that opera orchestra for eight years before I went to college. At the end of the Cultural Revolution, when I was twenty-five, I became a freshman to study composition at the Central Conservatory in Beijing. That was the whole history. But in Beijing, when you got composition training, everybody goes to countryside to collect folk songs. That is another step for me to learn a rural area folk song, folk material, because we try to go to those places which are not popular, which didn't even have a bus to go.、Uh, we could walk ninety miles <laughs> into the mountains to listen to summers farmers singing.、Uh, we not only recorded that, we also transcribed it. I remember I did a dictation to write down the tunes like what Bartok did. When we went back to Beijing, we also edited about three hundred tunes that we heard from the farmers singing, and I had used some of them <laughs> into my. Compositions as well as you could hear from many other CDs of my orchestral works or chamber works, including the CD made by the Women's Philharmonic located in San Francisco when I worked as a resident composer from 1993 to 1996. I have written several works for my orchestra and conducted by Maestro Joan Feletta, and this CD is also released on new album, including the pieces I wrote for the orchestra. At the same time, I apply the folk music that I have heard from countryside folk music, collecting field trips. And also learn from my classroom at the Central Conservatory, and I wouldn't omit this part of education, which is really important for me. And after that, I went straight to New York, Columbia University, as my next phase of study. I earned my DMA, Doctor of Musical Arts, from Columbia University in 1993. When I graduated, I immediately became a resident composer of the Women's Philharmonic. That's why I worked the next three years in San Francisco. I I became a very good friend of many of our students, community people. I call for. Audiences from different fields. We brought in choral audiences to the women's philharmonic concert, orchestra concerts. We also brought a lot of local people, community people, and students, and all these orchestra listeners to choral field. Because in the same time, I work with Shanti Clear, which is full time choir. We have twelve male singers 
who are the only full-time choir in the States by then. I also work for Eptos Middle School, which is a public school with their director, Zhong Mori, who was the first public school teacher being honored with a President Award. She is a great educator. She teaches at Eptos. Eptos School and with a string orchestra. I worked for her and I worked for the school and brought Shanty Clear into the singing in the school's program, standing along with the children. We sang together on the stage and Paraoto High School also sang together with Shanty Clear to our CBS Sunday morning show. Mm. A lot of education programs done very well. Uh, at the end of my residency, 1996, three organizations joined forces to honor me a whole concert of evening concert of my orchestra works and choral works. And that's how you could hear from the CD as well. Some of those pieces are recorded on new album. It's called the music of Chen Yi, including my Chinese Miss Cantata and also Ge Xu Antiphony, right? <laughs> and also my Second Symphony and other pieces as well, like a Doye, uh, like a Chinese dancing, also folk dancing, have been done and has been in the repertoire of the Women's Philharmonic. I feel so honored and I also feel so touched because my friends, my all these musicians, they are so supportive, so encouraging for me to work harder for the society, for the community, because the community in Bay Area, that is my home. If you consider my first home where I was born in China, I have my home in New York <laughs> where I study for a long time. I took seven years to get my doctoral degree. And then my next home is the Bay Area, San Francisco. I really love the environment, the multicultural society, and all people around me. And so I have been working hard. I thought that brought me to the next phase because I became an educator. <laughs> and right after the residency, you can see that in 1996, I became a professor in composition. Mm. First working was in Peabody Conservatory at John Hopkins University in Baltimore, where I worked for two years. I moved to Kansas City because University of Missouri in Kansas City appointed me as a tenure endowed professor. That was two years later. Uh, so I became a professor at UMKC Conservatory. Since 1998, I think that I have served UMKC and our students and my community, my new committee, for the last 25 years. 
from your introduction, I have about 10 questions and comments, but I'll try to condense them a little bit. I think people studying music maybe today can't even fathom what it would be like to be taken to the country and forced to work and all your education stopped. You can't listen to this music, both Western and Chinese music that you couldn't listen to. You persevered. You brought your violin because it was lighter. You could practice on the mute. It led you to join, to be concertmaster of the Peking Opera Orchestra, which opened up all these other worlds of folk music. You are no stranger to breaking barriers. In addition, you were the first female composer to receive a master's degree in composition in China. And then you came to the States because there was no doctorate in China at the time. I would love to also just focus on the idea of Chinese folk music storytelling. For instance, you mentioned Chinese myths cantata, which is such an incredible piece. How do you distinguish between instrumental and vocal music? Is it easier for you to tell Chinese folk music stories in one genre or the other, or is it just a different approach? Can you talk a little bit about that and any relevant works of yours? So glad that you asked this question because I sang a lot of choral songs in my childhood, in my primary school, middle school, uh, all the way. When I was little, my parents brought me to uh, Baptist church. <laughs> I heard those choir singings a lot. I consider that singing is a real reflection of language. <laughs> <laughs> if you speak in your dialect or in other languages and churches are really related to your speaking, I could tell. And later on, when I particularly learned the reciting, like a musical reciting from different aspects, for example, picking opera singing, and when you have the picking opera actress, actors on stage, they not only sing the arias, the songs with pictures, but they also recite. The reciter would have different levels of pictures. Some of them really non-pitch, but they are imitating the reflections of your speaking. Since I was trained as a musician, so I have an absolute pitch, actually. When I hear farmer singing or talking, I could translate what they do <laughs> into pictures right away in order to avoid the scales, not the typical pentatonic, not the typical chromatic or diatonic or pentatonic. You see what I do? I would notate down the pictures with arrows up and down like a microtonal or sliding tone or this, and that is the reflection of what they speak in and with the tune. So it became one of my styles when I write my music. For example, if uh, an old poem written in Song Dynasty by Su Shi would say, 明月几时有,八九问青天, which means uh, the bright moonlight, the bright moon hung on the sky. And when you can come back, when you could see it again. And I ask the sky or with a cup in my hand. And that is the meaning also to long to see the loved ones. And if in picking opera, sometimes you would recite it with a saturated tone. The tone would bring you to me. Yo. 
Schedule. One. Like this. Now you can hear the pitches. You see, the last picture is a high E, which I sang for you. And when you notate down, it became my melody. <laughs> so I also wrote that for Evelyn Granny to play in the second movement of my percussion concerto mm-hmm. for her. And so she has to, at the same time, she has to recite like the Peking Opera edges. And that kind of melodic making... It's a combination of pitch and non-pitch singing and reciting. And that became a part of my technique of deciding what pitches to pick as my melodic line. So you have that imitation of the voice, and that, of course, is in the Peking opera style, for instance. But can you also talk about how you've incorporated Chinese instrumental techniques into Western instruments. For a particular example, how are you able to mimic the sound of Chinese instruments with Western instruments like in the viola concerto, for instance, where it's my understanding you're turning the viola into the yahu. You know my music so well. Incredible. (laughs) (laughs) You could tell not only the instrumentation, the pieces, but also the language and the style behind. Thank you, Devon, for all this very intimate or close to each other with the music making because not only you heard, you listen to music so carefully, you felt it, not only technically, but also in language and style. I brought the Chinese instrumental music technique a lot into my writing for Western instruments, particularly when you see when I show you blowing instruments which are the woodwind, like a sona or bamboo flute or uh, other uh, type of uh, Chinese instruments with their fingering slightly different because uh, it is closely related to the language as well. With all these uh, great notes, actually, they are taken from language. So you can hear, uh, for example, the bamboo flute with the li in this type, uh, you have to use many fingers to do chromatic scales down. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can imitate that kind of sound. And also the plucking instruments, I not only use them for pizzicato on strings, but I use them for many other instruments as well. When the double bass or cello would do this grisando plucking with one pluck, and then your left hand would move around to get several pictures done. That kind of technique is taken from the ancient Gu Qin, nine string sita, and that would bring you to all these decorations in their language. those sounds uh, collaborated with extended technique borrowed from Western music, 20th century technique, uh, sometimes the 21st century, because they keep creating new fingering, mm-hmm. new sound. In recent 20 years, a lot of people would use more this type. 
Actually, we had used this type to imitate the ethnic instruments for decades. And also, when you talk about woodwind particularly, a lot of risandos at the end of the phrase, right? In our Gershu also, right? Also, in the other Duoye is for orchestra, right? The Ubo solo uh, with the mountain song singing, the end we drop, right? Like this, <laughs> which like might be run, like you've run out of breath or something. It's like a folk song singing yeah. in the mountain. When you end the phrase, it would touch far away. But when the phrase, the song going far away. At the end, they will drop. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like echoes in the valley, in the mountain. That kind of singing also reflected in my instrumental writing. I remember in San Francisco when Joan Ferenta asked our orchestra this particular place, the end of the phrasing, use Chinese way, and they understood right away. Mm. <laughs> because they had this experience already. They learned the language, particularly the musical language. So it's right into my heart. I thought that the expression is exactly reflected what I have mean and what I have heard. I'm really grateful. Also, for the ensemble music, as you mentioned, the instrumental music, not only the solo, but the ensemble music, which taught me a lot because in the conservatory, we analyze all the rhythmic in folk music. Those percussion ensemble would bring in a lot of patterns, the forms, the structures, which would be a very good summary from the history, like a hundred years long, and they had gone through all these together performances without score. You see what the farmers do? They would analyze their own structures from the heart, and then the master would teach the percussion players to recite the syllables, not until they learn the principles, not until they learn the structure and the tunes. All these uh, percussion patterns, they mm-hmm. were not allowed to touch the instruments to play mm-hmm. together. Uh, those are really loud sound out of door for ceremonies. We learn all this uh, in classroom by analyzing their rhythmic structures. Mm-hmm. I thought that that is very important for me mm-hmm. too. What you heard from Storinsky's uh, mm-hmm. right of spring, <laughs> uh, brought from all these uh, folk dances, and then you can construct your complicated rhythmic structures uh, for your own or a new creation. That was uh, what I have done in many pieces as well. I'm fascinated that you started as a very young child with, as you said, Mozart, Beethoven, Tchaikovsky. And as you became infused with folk music of of your traditions, you turned to more atonal side. You talk about rhythm of Stravinsky, but obviously there's Bartok, Schoenberg, Webern, Messian, Ludoslawski influences. Can you talk about how you went from Chinese folk music to all those composers and then your own individual voice that comes out of that? 
that is what I have gone through, and you have read my mind and most of my experience. And I thought that I love classical music so much. If I went out to street, I heard the broadcast playing Mendelssohn. I would hum along for a whole week. <laughs> I couldn't compose because those are the pieces I had played before. It reminded me with all these fingerings. I said, "Oh no, <laughs> I can avoid." And I think that also is helpful for me because I I write for Western instruments, and you can handle um, the technique and the combination and the orchestration and. The balances between instruments and te textures well until you know them well, and so that is uh, helpful.、Um, but later on, and、uh, when I learn Chinese folk music, I could use、uh, all these extended technique or traditional techniques to mimic all these sound. And style. Then later life, I certainly listen to a lot of twentieth-century、uh, repertoire, and particularly at Columbia University, we have analyzed many atonal pieces. I learned the technique a lot of chamber, and I thought that it's very close to my heart because twelve pitches without boundary, without a key center, which is absolutely equal to my absolute pitch. Because I don't have key, <laughs> I always sing out all of my students' works or classmates' works when I help them to get the bowing done, the fingerings done, or fix double stops. In my classroom, I also sing out every phrase I could see,、uh, hum them out. Originally, I couldn't tell the key. <laughs> <laughs> Not until I learned the theory,、uh, all my teachers would keep asking the function and the nature of all courses and the, the moderations. I had to take one second, two seconds to think because I switch keys, switch pitches freely with home center, no key center. When I taught the year training, I used the same method to ask my students. Tell the key right away, <laughs> or tell the pitch right away. So after half a year, many people could get absolute pitch as well, <laughs> because when they pay attention to、uh, a chromatic scale, pay attention to the distance between half a step, they got into this. <laughs> Not a trouble,、uh, but it's the training for them to get the pitches precisely. And so that is a combination for me, which means pitches combining with theory training. So also, this is very easy for me to go into atonal or go into microtonal. And so I'm very close to these microtonal people as well because I could tell the quarter or smaller intervals. I didn't use them technically, but I used them to express. This kind of language, and so that is natural for me. And when I heard Schubert's pieces, certainly it brought me to the new phase. So I use the twelve tone technique into my picking opera reciting style notation because by then you cannot focus on one key because、mm. you recite without. 
triad. <laughs> the relation between the words, the pronunciations, and the phrases are no longer belonging to pentatonic or diatonic, right? Mm-hmm. Even smaller than the chromatic. So that's why I felt off tone would be a easier way for me to mm-hmm. express, uh, for me to describe what I thought. And so later on, that's why the reciting uh, tune became one of my major melodic making style and writing technique. Your music speaks universally to audiences in a way that it's hard to take that kind of post-tonal style or atonal or second Viennese school, whatever you want to call it. It's hard to take that style and construct music that actually comes from the heart and speaks to people. I would love you to talk about that in a couple of different examples. Also, maybe talk about how you commemorate major events and how you depict rituals in music, for example, duoje or the gashu antiphony. It's common for me to use the combination as the word or the fusion or and when we talk about all this, and particularly in orchestra field and chamber music field, you could tell some small chamber work you may share, you may hear this kind of a technique more. When I myself could sing you this little picking opera tune, but it's a tonal song, as in a dream, which is an old poem taken from Song Dynasty. Like this, right? You cannot tell a particular key, but that is a eternal piece. <laughs> and also in a trio, I wrote for Yo Yo Ma and Wu Man and Yu Nam Kim, which is called Ning, N I N G, meaning the peaceful, quiet, to remember the World War II. And also that piece, I use the two string instruments, the violin and cello, to imitate the pipa. Because the pipa is a Chinese plucking instrument. I also use the pipa to play the raw, very long lasting pitches with rolling fingering. Rolling means five fingers alternatively rolling to last a long pitch. That kind of imitation from each other collaborated together as a trio. You borrow the techniques from each other. In those pieces, I also bring in instrumental and vocal music uh, together, share with uh, uh, different types of instruments, uh, as you mentioned. And the orchestra piece would be a border feel. It imitates a kind of very small scale of appreciation. When you have a smaller room or an amplifier or larger room, you can hear all little details. Tales, right? But in these two orchestra pieces which we mentioned, Doye and Gershu and Tiffany, which would deal with a larger audience, you have to bring out all this as an amplifier type of expression. That's why I use bigger force. The Doye has several versions original created for piano solo. After I went to Guangxi province to collect folk songs in rural area, and that was a dancing when one leading dancer would yell to welcome guests or celebrate happy occasions. And others, the farmers, would stand around with the bonfire in the middle. And they would step slowly toward in front. And then they would sing, And then you could hear the steps. like And then and when the singer yelling, ah, 
welcome our guests. And they would sing again very loud. Oh, it's very exciting. Yeah, do, yeah. Again, I was so excited. Breaking uh-huh. <laughs> into tears. I recorded this uh, uh-huh. and pray bad to the farmers. They were scared. Oh, our voice. <laughs> oh, why is it coming from the machine? The <laughs> 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 first time they heard the recording uh, of their own. I took the pictures and then developed. And I still have the low, uh, slow steps in the back. Very low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this. Mm-hmm. I learned from the percussion ensemble structure of the pen. I could build up this contrast. Like the singing phrase would grow longer and longer. When the steps would go from a long phrase, shrink them, shorter, shorter, until their combination and up to be a climax. That kind of knowledge or techniques I brought as a combination from different courses I learned into my own music. You could hear from Doye the later version because I adapted for chamber orchestra mm-hmm. and then later full orchestra and then even to pipa solo <laughs> and also Chinese instrumental orchestra. All this adapting from each other would bring in more musicians to uh, enjoy because uh, mm-hmm. when they love uh, the pieces, uh, they would ask uh, Theodore Pressure, my publisher, and Danny Dolph would write me an email. Hey, could you do this in the other instrumentation? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he will name the particular instrumentation mm-hmm. <laughs> for me to adapt for. And some of my pieces have many versions, mm-hmm. even flute and piano duet commissioned by new donor for Maya Martin, who is a professor at Manhattan School. She wanted a new piece for audition, her students. So she said that, Two versions. The other version should be for two flutes, and she could play the second <laughs> along with the student. And later, I had the twelve versions for different instruments. Because doctoral musicians wanted to express the tradition, the language, but also they wanted to extend and like the extended the technique mm-hmm. on their own instrument. Mm-hmm. So eventually it became 12 versions for all other instruments, not mm-hmm. only the flute, but also even double bass. Mm. <laughs> oh. It could do that. And that kind of borrowing from each other reflects the culture we are living in as well, because we are being in a multicultural society. Mm. A lot of things overlap and being influenced to each other. Mm. I thought that it brings in new ideas, new techniques as well. When you don't have the extended technique, you cannot imitate that type, mm. right? Mm. And so that is an improvement for each other. Because when I brought this back to play all these pieces originally written for Western instruments, my Chinese colleagues are interested in those. They use the traditional instruments to do these pieces. Definitely, that needs more technique. It was a development for their ethnic instruments as well. They had to learn Western notation. They had to learn extended techniques, which they had not been used on mm. traditional instruments. Now both had this improvement for technical training for next generation. More and more people from our next generations, they play much more uh, skills because they had to learn all this. 
I have used three materials, as you can tell. And the first one is the mountain song, and particularly that is from my collecting folk song trip because you can hear the mountain song singing when the farmers stand on top of the mountains. They would sing our long phrasing folk tune, and to be responded by another singer who would stand on top of the other mountain. That would be far away. This kind of competition is very popular in、mm-hmm. South or Western China. They could become lovers <laughs> when they respond to each other with the poems. When they can answer questions one after the other, if they like each other, they would go down the mountain to meet in person. If They don't like each other. That was it. After they sing, they went home. <laughs> they they would have never seen each other. That is also the way we learn when we went to countryside to collect folk songs. In this particular folk song, you can have the Western theory to analyze that, which is called. Intermode, <laughs> interval, like the、uh, major triad and the minor triad、mm-hmm. exchange a little bit, um, like da di da, da da di da di da, right? Da di da, da da di da, da di da. Very high. They sing octave or higher than what I sing. <laughs> the bassoon makes it a little easier to sing at the end, right? The bassoon because it's the end of the day, sunset.、Mm. So I use the bassoon to tell as the echoes. When you go home, and this same tune would become a little bit not so clear. Like、mm-hmm. a murmuring in the background,、mm-hmm. um, in the background, and also that is sunset scene.、Mm-hmm. And so I did. I didn't follow the original tune. I only did the beginning three pitches, and then I manipulated.、Mm-hmm. I I could say that how can I not do that? Because、uh, as I told you, I use a pentono, which、mm-hmm. means maybe several pitches you would think that belong to one key,、mm-hmm. but immediately it doesn't belong to the same key, which is a way to another key. If you still consider a key,、mm-hmm. right? Da di da is the same, and then da di da da di da da da. You can consider switching to another key. Is completely not in the same key, right? It's like a question mark because the mountain song always beginning with this. When you have the antiphonal competition, mountain song singing, you have a question first, and then you would have an answer later, right? But the second phrase I use, I have more variation at the end with the same beginning, da di da, right? The whole orchestra brought in like this. The little tail is wrapped up strongly, and that that kind of glissandos or fast notes also imitating speaking, talking, and the same gesture. And when That comes to the mountain song singing in solo part, like a more intimate kind of melodies. You could add on many more decorations. Those pitches also would confuse you with a key because they are fast. They have many notes, a whole bunch in one phrase, right? 
And in this case, the string section training could be a kind of a humming together for our orchestra. If we hum together, we could line up more easily. That kind of rehearsal could make the rehearsal more effectively. The second material I brought in, as you can tell, is a tritone. The tritone, da da, di da, di da, de, right? You could hear the French horn let in, right? And when you let in by solo, later, a whole group of four French horns would join force, right? But they are not in choral form and they are in head tritonic. So called head tritonic means they are imitating to each other, right? Uh, one after the other. So you can have a dub tone to make the um, glissando, right? Da, da, right? Da, di, like this kind. Uh, actually, it's uh, brought from the uh, double bamboo flute. The double bamboo flute has double tubes. You can handle like this, like uh, two pitches a time. The farmers could play, and I will email you the material. Then uh, you, you can see with a notation. And because I brought that not only from hearing, but also from the score transcribed by musicologists from farmers, and then you can see the materials precisely what I have used. And even the first one, is uh, such a popular folk tune. And many people could sing it along. Yet, when they sing my uh, melody, they cannot follow because I manipulated that. <laughs> I changed the tale, the second half of the phrase. So you cannot tell. And I keep repeating the first two pitches or the tale the last part of the phrase because I described the mountain in the beginning. Early morning in the mountain, we just open up to the open field and the echoes would tell from the orchestra. Like, bang, 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 bang. You can hear layer after layer, like you drop a stone to the deep valley, you can hear the echoes one layer after the other, uh, which goes uh, slower, slower, right? You can hear the French horn articulated by the bum, 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 right? Then later you have the low register of a flute, right? And they slow down because, as you can tell, the echoes, when it goes away, far away, it slows down and also would get a broader sound as echoes. I didn't use a high pitch of a flute because then it goes remote. Those are the things that you also detected already because you said that at the end, the melody goes to the bassoon. <laughs> when the beginning is a whole section of high strings and a high string would really symbolize the early morning and how the ear is so fresh in the morning. The second material, because from the double tube, bamboo flute, always reflecting the tritone. They play da i o i o o i o o 
they play all this keep going back and forth. I use this in the beginning. You didn't hear that very precisely because of the double bass, the cello, and they had those. Later on, they are woven in to the background, right? When the French horn is in the foreground. We also thought of the French horn being solo and being a chord form, like a heterophonic form, one after the other, different layers. At the same time, in the background, the low pitches instruments, they are in the accompaniment. Also, murmuring <laughs> with this same material. If you didn't tell me introducing the tritone material, you would think that is a atonal passage. <laughs> <laughs> you are always reminded of this tritone material, right? And when later, when it is developed into a bigger sound, we brought into the dancing tune. The dancing tune is also from southwest China, and which is in five beat. So originally, I brought in with a five beat, right? Only three pictures, right? But uh-huh. their rhythm has been changed yeah. around mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. this uh, trickily. And this is a dancing tune. So when we sing as a big choir, like uh, farmers, unison, they sing. And they always have the upbeat, like, <gasps> like this uh, what I said, <laughs> you can hear the idea of that piece. Later on, when we brought all these materials back into one case, like this one page, you could have all three materials combined, overlap. By then, I cannot use five bit anymore. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, it would be hard. <laughs> so I line them up with a square rhythm. Although, the grouping is still in five. Like you're still here with the same pulse, and the grouping is still the original folk song, and the meter became square. That is also another way to treat my orchestra work because you ask me about the orchestra presentation of the folk material. At this time, if I still keep using the five beat, it would be hard for the whole orchestra to load up. <laughs> and so I always use a odd number of grouping in rhythm, but write them into a square even number of meter. Even when you keep a beating square <laughs> meter, like a two beat, four beat, the orchestra may not have the same grouping because they weak, which have been done by Brahms a lot. Somebody we haven't mentioned yet. <laughs> <laughs> it speaks in your music, but I know you've spoken about this as well, to really bring different opinions and bring different ideas together and bring two different worlds together. One of the pieces that kind of sticks out is momentum, where you're bringing these disparate elements together. Can you comment on that and talk about as for young composers, how they can incorporate those principles into their composition so they can serve their communities and the world. Momentum is my favorite orchestra work of mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's written for Peabody Conservatory Orchestra mm-hmm. because our orchestra wanted to go to New York to perform <laughs> with the piece. At that year, we have uh, accepted several Excellent piccolo players mm. <laughs> in our orchestra. Terry Morai, uh, our professor in conducting, asked me, could I have some 
piccolo solo <laughs> to feature, and so I open up with the piccolo, <laughs> as you can tell, and actually is an、um, imitation of、uh, Chinese and ancient court music, which would be open with、uh, a little bamboo flute, and after the bamboo flute, you would have groups of percussion instruments in the accompaniment. Like、uh, in the、uh, old court music, I took that form actually, and to feature the piccolo. Later on, the piccolo became an important part to frame the piece. If you have、uh, several sections, each time when you hear the piccolo again, <laughs> it would be another section or groups of high flutes、uh, or this type. When this piece keep going, we Went into a huge sound. This piece called momentum, which is an impression for me from a scientific documentary, which my dad told me to see when I was little. It's talking about the lava, like the fire mountain, when it blows with with this lava comes down with this momentum, which was very, I would say. Scary <laughs> and also kind of exciting moment. I had that impression when I was a kid so deeply. So I thought that one day I should write it out, and that became my piece. It was from a scientific documentary. When you hear the tension, it also symbolizing a lot in my life. And when you hear the Chinese Peking Opera style tune in the middle of the piece, it's like Peking Opera singing. Yet it's not a real folk singing tune, which is a long melodic line. On the string section, it goes up and down, and also brings us back to the culture and into the mood and the life we have gone through. When you hear all these combinations, you will feel the nature, also feel the human beings. That is very important for me when we combine this. And dee da dee is the beginning with the dee. Right, and that was the piccolo, and at the end the harp, reminding us, boom, three pitches, right, and then you have the most dramatic the percussion, because when the huge bass drum hits, and the last thing is one little wood block, the wood block should last as long as possible with this rolling as the echoes lingering around at the end. And so that was、uh, momentum. Momentum was the last piece I submitted American Academy of Arts and Letters Ives Living Award. So I became one of the recipients in two thousand and one of the Charles Ives Living Award, honored by the American Academy of Arts and Letters, which brought me three years of freedom to compose. I'm very grateful for the great support. 
And I would think to my students and our next generation, and for many more uh, young composers and young artists, I think、uh, go to the war, go to the society, go to the community, and love people around you, love the culture around you, immerse to the so- society, and work harder. <laughs> for the society, for the community,、uh, which is the way we live,、uh, is the way for us to give a contribution to people and to the society for the future, for the peace of the future. Thank you, Chen Yi, for your amazing work and for sharing your incredible music and wealth of knowledge today. Thank you, Stefan, for you to invite me to share. And thank you a lot, and great congratulations to your excellent performance in two weeks. Thank you for joining us on One Symphony. Thanks to Chen Yi for sharing her incredible music and wealth of knowledge. You can find her music wherever you listen. Musical selections on this episode today include "Momentum" and "Duo Yi" from the album "Best of Chen Yi" by the Singapore Symphony Orchestra. "Gushu" and "Tiffany" was from the album "The Women's Philharmonic: The Music of Chen Yi." The viola concerto "Xian Shi" was from Chen Yi Concertos for String Instruments by the Boston Modern Orchestra Project and Gil Rose. You can always find more info at onesymphony.org, including a virtual tip jar, if you'd like to support the show. Please feel free to rate, review, or share the show. Until next time, thank you for being a part of the music.